Hey y'all, it's your girl Naisha Stone, and you're listening to the Carved in Stone podcast, where our positive news articles come to life. Now let's get into the episode. It's Tuesday, and I'm back interviewing another positive person from around the world doing positive things in their life. I'm excited about this episode because if y'all didn't know, I'm a journalist, and I love the field of journalism, so it always brings me joy to bring on a fellow peer, especially a Black woman. So with that being said, I would love to introduce Gia Peppers, who's an entertainment journalist, content creator, podcaster, award-winning. Um, she does so many things, and she was very kind to me when I met her in Miami. She did a video from one of my friends who's a big fan. So thank you so much. How you doing, Gia? I'm doing well. I was literally just looking at footage from ABFF. Um, I want to say this morning, because I'm working on something with Danielle Brooks, and I'm like, that was such a long time ago. We've been through a whole strike since then, but we bless God that it's over so the color purple can have its moment that it deserves. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into the color purple because I'm very, very excited to talk yes. about the moderate the panel. You dope. I just want to say you. that I really appreciate you. you. Um, one, one of my first questions I have for you is, how would you define real journalism? Hmm. <laughs> in 2023, <laughs> it's almost 2024, I would define real journalism as rare authentic, truthful storytelling that is non-objective. And it has come to the point where most reporting these days is actually commentator focused because people want people to be in either passionate about the response negatively or positively. And we are losing publications and outlets that only tell you the facts and the facts are the facts. And then we've even lost what facts are. It's a very scary time in this world because people are literally defining their own facts, whether it's true or not. Uh, and so it's a very scary time. So what I would say is journalism is brave right now um, and it's necessary and it's important, but is it is it is fact-based storytelling and recounting of events depending on where you work that could be in sports that could be in uh entertainment that could be in the medical field that could be in news and politics uh politics i think is where we have lost fact-based reporting truly um because of Donald Trump and all the things that happened when he was elected um, and that he's still running. So yeah, I think we live in a time where it's even more important for journalists who are actually reporting to rise to the top. I know you've heard they say journalism is basically dying. Um, yeah. Really not supported. Um, what can you say or what can we do as a society to ensure that real journalists are still here and that the, that the field continues on? Yeah. Yeah. This is such a hard conversation because we're literally having it right now um, in, in so many projects that I'm a part of. What's always been true about journalism is that someone has to pay for it to come to life. Someone has to pay salaries. Someone has to pay all types of things for journalists to be able to do it unless we do it out of our good heart and love and free will. However, the Sally May bills that I have to repay, I can't pay them in good feels. I try, 
You know what I'm saying? Like I got, I feel so good about this, but they, they don't, they don't accept it. So advertising has always been how papers stay open, how magazines stay open, how TV stations stay on. Uh, so it's going to take the advertising dollars and also the viewership or the readership to continue, which is why a lot of people are doing subscription opt-in paid subscription services which you can you know you can subscribe to the new york times the wall street journal the washington post like places where reporting is still fact-based however journalists are being let go by the droves because people don't want to read anymore they want to watch a retelling they will i know people who youtube's who have successful YouTubes and they literally read articles on camera. But, you know, that's just how it is. You know, like we just live in that time. So what I think is going to have to happen um, is that before we get completely just divided into 40 different walks of life and tribalism <laughs> that is kind of forming uh, is that we need leaders that um can tell people that the truth still matters, but now we even have different definitions of the truth. So honestly, I wish I could answer that question for you. I don't know what's about to happen with journalism. And I don't know how we get back to facts because so much of it has been warped in these last few years. But I will say, I do think Gen Z will continue to use their voice voices for what is right, what is good, what is real. And hopefully, they will be able to shape a better society because Donald and them, they really trying to get, <laughs> it's the way they act. And it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> I think you said it perfectly though. Uh, with me running my own news company for like seven years, one of the biggest things was we literally, you got to pay for the content. People are like, we want positive news. But when I go to funders, where, where, where is the money? They like, and I've had people wanting to report for me for years, but I wow. can't physically pay them what they need to be paid exactly. in order to produce the content. So I've either had to like really pay them low amounts, they've had to volunteer, or they just go to someone else yeah. and do a blog post somewhere else, but we're actually doing real reporting. And so that's a huge thing that we're facing. So I've had to create a whole marketing department to support our content creation. So now we have to become our own publicists and marketing just so we can continue to do coverage. Like we yeah. announced and we got press credentials to cover Sundance Film Festival, but we have to pay to get there. And people oh, you sure do? Pay, you, you have to pay. Just because you got pressed, I mean, you got you to pay for the flight, the stay, your food, your travel, just to produce the content to make this organization look better. But without journalists, no one would know what's going on, but yet no yeah. one wants to pay for that content. And I'm glad exactly. that people like you exist and you found your way to kind of, you know, make your own money so you don't have to necessarily struggle the typical way as a journalist does. Um, you yeah. walked us a little bit through that process of how you kind of really kind of built your name up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's 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 a long journey. Uh, I have been a journalist now on camera, entertainment journalist, talent, whatever, however, podcast or how many ever things I've done. Uh, it has been a hustle for about a decade now. And um, when I first started in the industry, it was a recession. It was all these things happening. Um, no jobs. The magazine industry was finally at its wits end. Um, and everything that they taught me in J school was really no longer applicable, applicable because not that the skill set weren't skill sets weren't, but it was 
the how of the business was starting to change so much because we had the inventions of Instagram, Facebook, um, and YouTube, which was a couple years, it, it was on before I graduated, but still people were making their own way. And then all the people that, you know, went up the, the ladder, one man banded it from a small city, were going to do their things. But I was like, I'm already in the New York area. I'm not moving. Like, so I just figured out how to hustle and make a way and make a name for myself by utilizing my skill sets in different places at the same time. So there was a time when I was working with Essence, Hot 97 and the Washington Wizards for years because I didn't ever want to squander the opportunity to be in front of 15,000 people every home key home game with the wizards and then also be at the number one morning show in you know in new york at that time and be in the headquarters of black girl magic like i i was like i'm gonna figure it out you know this this is the space to be this is how i was able to lay the groundwork for the relationships i have the peers that i have the podcast that would come um so i think for people who are looking to create wealth in journalism one have more than one stream of income because this is not an easy thing I know friends who are thinking of driving DoorDash and driving Uber again because this is also a strike the entertainment field has been demolished these last 180 days and it's still just coming back to life but it's coming back to life at the holidays so people are like half tapped out half tapped in like usually at this point people would be like yo if the movie ain't out the movie ain't out but you know now people are like actually I haven't worked in 180 days I need you know work so um, I think it's a matter of hustling I think it's a matter of being ready when the opportunity comes I think it's a matter of networking and I think it's a matter of knowing your craft when someone asks you to be able to report a story on camera do you know how to write a script do you know how to write your own script do you know how to do your makeup and hair do you know how to come on get on get to set on time do you know how to style yourself what looks good on your body do you know the research that it takes do you know the photos system that you need to be able to use do you know the editing system like it's a lot people think journalism is cute and it never is and we actually are some of the most important storytellers but because we live in a time where everyone has the power to tell stories, it is getting harder for our work to rise to the top. And that's where we are as an industry. But that does not mean that your work won't continue to rise because cream also rises to the top. So all you have to do is stay, stay focused, stay in your element because the people that are really supposed to be here going to be here. You better tell them. I yeah. Uh, cause man, me being from the Midwest, like don't nobody come here. Don't right. nobody come here for nothing. Right. So you for gotta, real. You got to figure out how to hustle. And so people ask me like, how are you going to get an interview with Gia Peppers? Or how do you, you make, you make sure that you're prepared. You take on free opportunities. I couldn't get press credentials to cover the American Black Film Festival, but they say you can volunteer. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to volunteer, put myself in a room and network. Yep. That's literally and what, and that's literally what you did. And that's literally what you do. And now here we are doing an interview, but I don't think people, and I said this in the last podcast, people don't always want to go for the opportunities that aren't paid. But yeah. sometimes you got, you got to put in the work and you also got to know how to do the work as well. And you said that, like, if you go on an interview, somebody said you want to interview Oprah, you're going to go do your research. You're going to go sit down and you're going to literally take the time. And so that's one thing I think 
with the way of journalism and media where it's going is a lot of people are picking up a mic. And I think it's our job as journalists and we can find a way to kind of start teaching people it as a trade so they can have the fundamental skills so we can help other people because people want to do journalism but they don't even know what the field is yeah. I didn't even know where it really was until I got to college I got into mm-hmm. having I'm like I'm not it's just an anchor on tv that's really all it is like no it's actual information it's fact checking yeah. it's so it's so much more than that so mm-hmm. for you what is it about journalism that keeps you in in the field and got you in the field in the first place yeah for my my upbringing um I grew up in the DC Maryland DMV area and I grew up under a father who is a journalist. So I knew the field intimately. I knew what it took from people. I knew what it takes to actually be a great reporter. Um, And I got to see all that on the front row of my dad's career. So my dad at this, during my formative years was at NPR for 23 years. And I got to be in the newsroom, you know, and see different things. My dad literally brought me to the newsroom when I was two months old and told everyone there I'll be a broadcast journalist. So, you know, it's been bigger than me since before I could form in my mind what was happening. Um, I uh, fell in love with storytelling first because I was also a kid that just really was of the culture. I grew up keeping my mom up as a toddler and we would watch Arsenio Hall and some of my (laughs) first words were woo, woo, woo. So I've always been in love with culture, with um, star power, with purpose, with people who follow their dreams. And I grew up also singing, dancing and acting. So I wanted to pursue that as a full career and my mother, was like Cheryl Lee Ralph and Sister Act 2 and was like, you're not going to do that. The choir and the composition is out. You're like, you're going to get a degree. And so I was like, well, I love journalism. I literally was the kid that also would buy every magazine and tape everything to the walls and read the articles and want to know so much more about these people. And um, so I was like, I can, I can write. I love writing. I write in my journal all the time. You know, I got this. So I started to seriously pursue a career in journalism in high school. I would, I didn't make it to the the paper. I was like, okay, so writing is going to be, okay, I'm going to do the the TV version. Okay. So I would do the morning news announcements. And then from there, I would, I declare my major in college as, you know, journalism and media studies. uh, And just, I just pursued as much broadcast journalism as possible. I did every internship every semester. That's the best thing my dad told me get an internship, you learn for free. So for anyone out there, I know this time is so different because there's hybrid and we really do need to be in the field as journalists to learn things. But I learned quickly uh, the power of internships. So my first internship was in DC during the summer after my freshman year with Donnie Simpson. I was his summer intern and I learned then that I wanted to do this. I wanted to host, I wanted to be able to create an environment he was at a radio show and his studio was his for four hours. For those four hours, it didn't matter if the janitor came in or Jill Scott, everyone felt seen, heard, affirmed, and better when they left than when they came in. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. Now, you know, I would work with Big Tigger, Wendy Williams, I was telling you Michael and all that throughout my collegiate career and learn that not everybody does that. And that's when I really started to see the industry t- changing. Um, but that's where I knew I wanted to do it. And from there, I just kept hustling. I, I went to Rutgers University um, and I just literally hustled. 
for every opportunity. I, I juggled all the balls that were in my court and I just didn't stop. There were many times that people overlooked me. They still overlook me, child, and it's fine. But I've learned now that it ain't going to stop me. It is what it is. Anybody could do what they want to do. I'm still be, I'm going to still be here and still telling stories until still taking up my space because it's so much bigger than anyone. Yes or no. And when that yes finally does come, it changes your life. You better tell them. I, I love that. Um, that's very mm. inspiring. So you're in the entertainment industry. Yes. And that could be a little bit different than interviewing, honestly, everyday people. I, mm -hmm. within the last like two or three years, I just now begin to get those industry um, interviews and I've noticed it's a little different. You got to move mm -hmm. a little differently. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep who you are in this type of field? Because sometimes people big headed, sometimes, you know, sometimes they can be a little ego, you know, I have a big yeah. ego. So like, how do you keep your your journalism journalism ethics at the at the forefront but also just keep who you are throughout every interview and you know every interaction that you have yeah what ends up happening is throughout this whole entire journey in journalism you will try on other people's voices or styles because you think that that's what the industry wants so I, like I always love to hear Oprah talk about how she was Barbara Walters for the first several years of her on <laughs> TV career in Baltimore because that's what she thought people wanted from her. And then when she finally got the show, the Oprah show, it allowed her to take her life to a whole different space because these were things and topics that she actually was interested in. It, it wasn't just about news. It was about the human story. And it was about really hard moments and really hard conversations. And she was able to guide a country learning about consciousness. Like the Oprah show gave us that. Um, where I have learned to do it is I did the same. I tried on different things. I was in New York for a minute. I was a sneakerhead. I wanted to be in a, I just wanted to be all out. Like, da, 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 da. and not that I didn't grow up a sneakerhead because I have a brother who is a fanatic, a sneakerhead, <laughs> but I grew up singing, dancing, acting. So yeah, I would wear sneakers, but I, I wasn't about to like, you know, go do all the things in the world. I did play ball for a little bit, but you know, my career was short-lived. So I, I I was like, okay, this is what is hot in New York. Let me be like that. And then I was like, uh, I can't keep, this is an expensive life. Okay, so let me try this. <laughs> like, uh, oh, these are what the girlies is doing. Let me be like that. Let me do this. And every time I would come back to myself. So try on what you think is working because you probably will. It's the human, the human curiosity for us to feel like, oh, this is what's working. Let me try to be this. But you'll come back to yourself. So try it on. Try on as many voices as possible. But I promise you there's going to be that one through line that represents what you really care about. What are you actually passionate about? What makes your heart leap when you hear a story like that? What makes you um, stay up later to, to go on a spiral of what the this group or this organization means to the world? What are those things? The, that's where you shine. That's where you're supposed to be. Everything that we are supposed to be doing is already inside of us. The issue is we live in a loud, distracted world. Oh, so many ways to communicate with people, so many ways to know what people's lives are about. And I don't think humans are meant physically to do that in our bodies, in our minds. We're not supposed to have this much information. So we're going to go through stages where we have to contort and figure it out but you'll come back to you because that's what you've always been so for anybody that's trying to find their voice tell every story take every opportunity and find where your spirit sings and soars and try to do more of those things 
where your spirit sings. I like yes. that's that's beautiful. I love yeah. that girl. Um, can you remember the first time or what the one of the first opportunities that kind of started to change your career? Like, what was that? Mm. Yes, that was like, oh, I think this is about to be it. Because you know, I, I had my hands in a whole lot of things. Oh like, yeah, you yeah, you, you know, named, you named off plenty of stuff. So yeah, who, who, so I'm like, it's like <laughs> I feel like there might be eras. I think the okay. first, the first, the first moment where I knew I was good at this and actually like called to do this because I felt like I was flying and it was just fun. Um, my first red carpet was with a blog called Music Exclusives, and we were covering the TLC the TLC story which was the VH1 movie where like Kiki Palmer played Chili and Drusador played T-Boz and all this and, and, and Lil Mama played Left Eye. And I remember getting on the carpet and we were at the end of the carpet because nobody know, you know, we weren't the new, you know, there's, there's hierarchy. They have you, on, at, you, you on the carpet, but you, you, you down there. You may get the interview or you may not. But I was so excited to be on the carpet that I was just like living my best. Like I was having so much fun and people around were like, who is that? she's amazing. You're so good. And I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm just having fun. So, you know, I got my first interview with Candy. I got my first, you know, big interview. Diana Ross was there. She didn't stop, but it was just like Diana Ross was there. Amazing. Like why? Of course she's there. Why not? Um, and I just remember feeling like I was in the right place. Like I absolutely can do this. I was confident. I was aware of my abilities. I meant it. I was there on purpose. So that's the first time I knew. And I think the era that changed my career was that was that era where I was working with the Wizards, working with Ebro and working with um, um, Essence because I was able to see how the industry works. I was able to see how press runs actually work. So if there is like Erica Campbell at the time had an album coming out and I remember watching how she would, one day she was at the Wizards singing the national anthem. And then the next day she was in New York doing press with for WBLS. And then she would come and stop by Essence to play the album. And I started to be at so many of those touch point moments for so many artists. Wale, Wale was at the time, like the entertainment head ambassador at the Wizards. So he would be at games. Then the next morning I would see him in New York because he was doing an interview about an album. And then he would come to Essence and play. For so I learned that good publicist puts you in certain places during these runs, right? So I learned how the industry works, but I also learned the, that I really wanted this. So when I got the job for how for for Howard for the Washington Wizards, I had learned about the opportunity from a friend at Rutgers because my co-host Rodney Rakai was from New Jersey, and Rutgers is like ninety percent in state. There was so many people from Jersey. Lord, it was overwhelming. And but it ended up working out in my favor. So she sends it to me. I had started getting my reels together, uh, reel together from the clips I was doing with music exclusive. So we were going to every concert, interviewing people backstage, like Luke James and Bridget Kelly, all these different people. And so I had now a reel to send out. So I sent out my reel and I had been sending out for six months and didn't hear anything back. So I sent out my reel like, yeah, the wizards, all right. They, you know, I grew up going to the games. Sure, they'll, they'll like my reel. I get a call and I'm covering a Barclays Center title concert, Beyonce. It was like a Jay-Z, it was power, something power, something like a power concert, power fest, something like that. And Jay-Z was there and 
I met Beyonce that night and then I get in the car and I get a call from the front office and they're like, we want you to come in and, and audition to be the Wizards host. At this time, I am working at Hot 97 and Essence. And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to live and work in New York and work in D.C. two, three nights a week? So I prayed. I was like, Lord, if this is for me, make it work. How is it going to work? I don't know. But Lord, give me a way to make it work. So what I would do for like three years, I would start in the offices of either Ebro in the morning or Essence, depending on what we were working on. Sometimes Ebro didn't need me to be in the office. So, uh, you know, I could just do everything in on email or whatever, because I was managing his website at that time. And then I was also working with Essence Fest on their stuff. So some days it would be super crazy. And then some days it would be like, girl, the festival's three months out, you know, go do what you do. So on game days, once I landed that position, I would wake up in the morning, go to either Essence or Hot 97 from like eight to 12, sometimes both. If I had to be at Hot 97 in the morning, I would go from like seven to eight and then go from Essence to nine to 12. And then at 12 o'clock, 1230, I would get on a bus or train into D.C., and I would get off the bus at like 4.30. I would go do my hair and makeup, get ready, get eat, do our pre-show meeting for the games at the Wizards uh, during the, the Wizards, all like home game season stuff. Eat, get ready, start hosting the pre-show at 6.15. My mom is a basketball stand, so she would be picking me up. Either she would be at the game or picking me up at like 9.15, 9.30. I would go home, go to sleep for a couple hours, and then my dad would wake me up. And we would get on a 4.25 a.m. train. And I'd be back in New York the next day by 8.30. Like, I didn't just host a whole game the night before. And I did that two to three times a week for three years. And that's when I knew I really wanted it. Like, I'm like, oh, I can really do this. Like, I, if this is what I have to put in, I'm going to actually do it. And so that's the era that I proved to myself that I could do it. And then people started to know my name. And so during that time, we also started Black Girl Podcast at Hot 87. So that's the era where things started to come together. And I proved to myself that I really wanted this. And then people started to know my name. And I was able to prove to people that, you know, I'm a great host, journalist, all the things. I love that. Um people don't always know the back end story. Like they're like, oh, Regina Pepper, she great. Like she with Michelle Obama, she with Oprah, but not knowing that how much time you sacrifice and how hard, how much hard work you put in. People yeah. just see what's on the screen, but yeah. it's not for everyone to know. And so, you know, you're ready to share your story. And to anybody listening, I really think you got to put in that work. Like it don't matter how long it takes. We're going on seven years. I can do this another seven, another 10, another 15. Yes. It's going to work out for me because I know the path. I, I know this for me. I don't mm -hmm. get paid a lot, but I know it's for me. And so that's I right. love that you know that's for you. Um, I keep bringing up Michelle Obama. How long, <laughs> is, how long is it meeting her? I just got to know. I just got to know. Honestly, Naisha, like it was life changing. And oh I, so how it happened was networking matters. People knowing what you do, being in the space matters. So like, I love that you go to ABFF. I love that you're in the rooms at Sundance. I love that you are doing that because that's what's going to keep you top of mind for people. And then let them know that you want to host these things. Like, I want to host these things. I want to so, host these things, y'all. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like, especially when you're in those rooms with those people. Like, don't, yes, try to network with the celebrities and their teams, sure. But network with the people throwing the events. Network with Color of Change has a, used to have, a Sundance house I don't know if they do now 
But when you go to the black Sundance houses, look who's running the stage. And then at the end of the event, you go talk to them. Hey, I think you had such a great event today. This is so beautiful. I really, my favorite moment was I'm a host. If you ever need, here's my information. Or do you mind if I send you an email with my things? I think I could really do great helping these, helping create this space and, and even bring it to, um, you know, a, a different level. And you'll be surprised. Start with flattery. You'll be surprised with how many people are actually like, oh, yeah. Um, so how the Michelle Obama thing happened was I met. Um, so Deborah Lee, the former um, head of BET, when I was at BET, started this thing called Leading Women Defined, which is essentially a network of women that come together, uh, leaders in business and billion dollar hedge fund owners and the, the dopest women in the world from entertainment, sports, TV, news, all different things. They come together for one weekend and they talk about, you know, the issues that are happening happening in their things but they also are just sisters they're women they're you know amazing so I used to cover that and I met a cohort of young women who are voice just the best people Brittany Packnett Cunningham Lovey Ajayi Jones Unique Jones Gibson um and then Stephanie Young Stephanie Young is has served had served with the Obamas their entire administration. She's just a political force. She's a quiet storm behind the biggest moments, some of the biggest moments um, and the greatest people in politics that especially represent what black people care about. So we met at that. We stayed in touch. They adopted me as their little sister, Jovi and Zane as well, who's on episode two of Hill Girl Era. And we all just stayed in contact. And I was like, sis, I see what you're doing with when we all vote, which is Michelle Obama's um, voting initiative. And I was like, let me know how I can host. So during the pandemic, she would let me do social moments, host moderations. And I always would miss the ones with Michelle. Like it was just never there with Michelle. And she calls me one day and it's like, gee, we're doing our first in-person summit and I want you to host. And I was like, oh, you want me to host a panel? And she's like, no, I want you to host the whole day. And I was like, <laughs> okay, finally, here's my moment. So I put in my time and I figured out how to make it work. And then when I finally met the Michelle Obama, it was in, in crossing because she was going somewhere with her secret service and I was headed back to the stage and I was just like, oh, this is Obama. And she was like, I've been watching you all day. You're doing a great job. I could have oh fainted. God right there and then in the picture moment um it was a line and you literally get two seconds and during that it was peak covid so if you notice my it's like i am on the other side of the photo because they were not <laughs> letting you stand literally within two feet of the, the former first lady but she gave me a high five and she was like i'm so proud of you You're doing so good and i saw her one more time and i was just like i I'm, i love you michelle obama she's like i love you too like it just it will never, ever not be a moment that I forgot about. Michelle Obama is everything. When we all vote is everything. Vote. If you're not registered to vote, get to voting. Uh, but yeah, she's just that girl, she that woman, cool. that lady. She is. She came to Milwaukee a few years ago and it was like a secret thing. She wanted to meet with some high school students. So we didn't get the interviewer, but I was like, 
five, I was like 10 feet away from her and she was just in a circle talking to these, uh, these young girls. And I was just like, if she just knew, if she just knew who I was, I was like, I don't even care. We in the same room. Yes. And I was, I was in the same room as Barack Obama. Y'all can't tell me nothing like this. Right. Is, I'm supposed to be where I'm supposed to be. This is my time. And so like, I feel that like really, honestly, you are giving me so much inspiration um, in this interview because man, I know, you know, it's a lot of work, especially being a, a black journalist and yeah. so many people overpass you. Yeah, you know you're better. You know you put in the work, but you're doing. You gotta always remember like what your why is. And I'm doing yeah. it because I don't like how they cover the black community. Yep, people suck. <laughs> and so and you're people, and you're doing something about it. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate that. Um, well, we got a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, and so one of the questions I have for you is, what advice would you give to young black women who want to do not even just journalism, but just want to create their own paths in the world? Where you know we get attacked a lot. So like what encouragement or advice do you have for young black women? Yeah, first I would say um, the journey is not going to be easy. You will fail. You will fall flat on your face sometimes in front of people, sometimes by, by yourself, sometimes covered. You will encounter people whose main objective in that moment is to make you feel less than. You will encounter haters on the internet with the best you would could put your whole heart and soul into something and it is for positive good and people will still find a way to make it not that I would tell anybody even with all that you decide in your heart that you will keep going no matter what if this is really your call if this is really what you're here to do if you have the skill set if you put in the time you don't let one situation or one no make you give up your dreams that you've been working hard for ever. You don't, you just don't. You have to decide in your body, in your soul, in your spirit, even if you get knocked down. You, and we will, we do, we're human. This is a crazy life. Human beings are amazing, but then we can also be harmful to each other. So you gotta my, get your mindset so focused that even when that thing happens, you're like, all right, whoo, that one hurt. They got me on the ring with that one. That was a little knockout. I, I, I'm stumbling to get back up. That, that, that hurt. And you might even take a year. Honestly, I've had times where I have gone through life and gone through the motion for years. And I've been like, I'm not okay, but I'm going to keep trying and showing them. Cause one, I don't know what else to do. And two, I need to just get through this moment. There will be moments like that. But as long as you don't give up, that is going to be the difference maker in your life. One of my mentors and my amazing journalist, Daytuan Thomas, legendary journalist, Vibe editor-in-chief, and been at Vibe forever. Um, one of the kindest people ever. He told me early on in my career, the only difference between the people who did make it to where you want to be and didn't is that, the people who didn't gave up, they threw in the towel. That's the only difference. So no matter what, don't give up and know that what's for you is for you. It takes so many people to make one decision at these big opportunities and jobs that we want. If someone, one person out of 10 don't like you, that could be the difference. But if you finally get an opportunity, it's really for you. So be honest in your excitement of that moment and get to work and show up and do what you know you're supposed to do. And sometimes that also means pitching yourself for opportunities. It means, hey, I, I like what you did here. Next year, I'm doing this. 
I love this. Please let me know. And that also looks like re re if I'm if we're being, you know, completely honest, black journalism is a privilege because it takes money to actually call yourself a journalist. Journalism school costs money. Buying equipment costs money. Bringing up um, you know, like you said, going to places costs money. It is an honor to be in spaces. If you are not hired by a company, it is hard, right? So for those of us who are still in it and have the privilege and opportunity to be in it, we have to remember that it is both a privilege and an opportunity. How are we going to take up our space? How are we going to tell the stories that we really want to? And how are we going to use Say you might not really love the story you're telling, but they got your check. You reinvest that into the stories you do want to tell and it all works. You'll still learn from the, something from that opportunity, but now you'll have money to fund what you actually want. So it takes strategy. It takes confidence. It takes knowing. It takes not for not forgetting why, your why. And it just takes forward momentum. It takes focus and it takes inner prayer and inner knowing, knowing and inner strength. Nothing matters to me more than my faith in my family. And that has been my saving grace in the highs and lows of, of this crazy life and journey. So have something that is bigger than you because the 99 no's won't knock you out as you're waiting for your one yes. Gia, you are, man, I'm gonna keep saying you are definitely inspiration. Like, thank you. You talk so much life into me. Like, yeah, this feeling is hard, but I, I see you and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I can do that. I can definitely. That's right. Do that. So thank you so much. Just the Carbon Song podcast. Make sure to join us every Tuesday as I interview different people about the positive things in their life. And remember, in the end, everything will be carved in stone. In the end, everything will be carved in stone.